Church, let's open our Bible to John chapter 8. We will finish up this chapter. Dave said we had a softball ministry. I thought he was referring to how we played yesterday. We certainly ministered to the other teams. We were very generous to them. John chapter 8, we will read together, I will read verses 48 through the end of the chapter. Please listen to the word of God. The Jews answered and said to Jesus, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. Rather, I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So read the words of the living God. So have you ever been in a debate with someone, a, a, a controversy discussion where you're, you're dialoguing about truth and they throw a, an accusation against you, they throw a label at you and trying to, try to wipe away the whole discussion? Uh, I'm sure you've done that where someone leaves what the debate is about and starts attacking you as a person. In, uh, in logic and debate, it's called ad hominem. It's where you no longer argue the proposition on the table, you argue uh, to the man. Uh, we, we see this all over the place in our culture, in the political realm. Uh, anytime somebody doesn't like what somebody else is saying, it's easy to divert attention away from the proposal on the table and start attacking the person who made the proposition. So the idea is when you're in debate and discussion, Here's my proposition. I'm going to put it on the table. And now I invite other people to poke holes in my argument. Let's wrestle with the issue. 
But it's tempting when you feel like maybe you can't argue persuasively against your opponent to go at the person who made the statement. For instance, we see this in, in uh, the pro-life discussion. Someone says, here's my proposition on the table, babies should not be killed. Right? That's the proposition. Now let's, let's discuss that. And someone else comes along and says, you misogynist, right? you woman hater, you don't think a woman has the right to choose what to do with her own body? I've had this discussion with people, with women. Like, Look, go take out your spleen. I don't care. We're not talking about what you do with your body. We're talking about the proposition on the table, should we kill babies or not? You know how this works. And again, you see this all over in the political realm. We hear words thrown around like racist and white supremacist and, and Marxist and all these things, getting away from the topic and, and assaulting people and, and, and perspective uh, backgrounds, that kind of thing. Well, that's exactly what's going on here in our text. We, we started off hearing the uh, Jews say to Jesus, do we not say rightly, you're a Samaritan and are demon-possessed? That's their argument. Whatever Jesus has done to this point has caused them to say the only explanation for your position, Jesus, is that a demon has taken over your body and your mind and your mouth and you're saying things driven by a demon. Imagine that. Someone saying to the Son of God, you're demon-possessed. Of course, they didn't believe he was demon-possessed, but that was their accusation, trying to cause the people who are listening to stop trusting him, saying instead he's demon-possessed. But I find it fascinating that slightly worse than being demon-possessed is being a Samaritan in the minds of the Jews. Did you catch that? The first thing was, you're a Samaritan. Second thing was demon-possessed. Well, if you know your, your biblical history, you know that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other with a passion. The Samaritans were the offspring of those generations of Jews who had intermarried with the Assyrians, and they had failed to preserve the, the purity of the Jewish bloodline. And so the the Jews in Jerusalem looked at Samaritans as traitors. They, they called them half-breeds, dogs. They didn't even see, see them as fully, fully human in some way. And, and remember in Acts when the gospel went to Samaria? The Jews in Jerusalem were so shocked by that truth. They sent Peter and John to see firsthand, is this true? Has God even accepted the Samaritans? Really? Jesus had already told them that. You're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. He specifically mentioned Samaria and the ends of the earth. Well, the Jews were shocked that God would receive these Samaritans because they had diluted the, the, the purity of the blood. So, so these Jews, as they bring their severe ad hominem attack on Jesus to try to ruin his credibility with the others, they said, you're a Samaritan. You're demon-possessed. The question is, what has provoked this response? Why are the Jews so concerned to discredit Jesus? Well, if you remember from last week and the, the, the sermons prior to this, Jesus had said some pretty strong things about these Jews. He said, as I observe your behavior, as I watch what you do, not what you say, but as I watch what you do, I've come to the conclusion you're not of God. You don't act like people who are of God. 
you don't love me. If you were of God, Jesus says, you would love me. Instead of loving me, you're trying to kill me. That proves you're not of God. You're of your father. You have a father. Your father is not God. Your father's not Abraham, whom you claim. Your father is the devil. Because you're doing the deeds of the devil. You're seeking to kill me. Not one of you can accuse me of anything. Well, you can accuse me, but you don't have any evidence. You know that all I'm doing is what I am told by the Father to do. You're trying to execute me. That proves you are a liar and you're of your father, the devil. And so the Jews decide to to respond by by the ad hominem attack. You're clearly a Samaritan. You're demon-possessed. Don't listen to this man, everyone, is what they're saying. Jesus responds with just one simple thing. First of all, as to the demon possession charge, no, don't have a demon. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. How many people in your circles of influence dishonor the Lord Jesus? How many people in the Green Mountains? How many people in our neighborhoods? in our family. Look back at our own lives. There was a time when all of us dishonored Jesus as well. Why is this a big deal? We have seen this in John. We see this all through the New Testament. The reason God has created the world of human beings is to bring honor to his son, Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Colossians tells us all things were created by him and for him. We've been over that passage many times. The him there is not referring to God the Father. The him there is referring to Jesus the Son. All things were created for the Son of God. God created every nation on planet Earth to be an inheritance for his Son Jesus. He's calling every tribe, every tongue, every nation to bow the knee to Jesus because that's our created purpose. He is our created purpose. And when anybody does not honor the Son, Jesus, they're not doing what they were created to do. It's our destiny. It's our, it's our, it's our, our purpose for living. And Jesus says, you don't honor me, and that's a big deal because look at verse 50. He says, I don't seek my glory. I'm not here to, to sound my own trumpet, but there is one who seeks my glory, and he's the judge. Everybody, every human being is going to stand before God and give an account to whether or not we honored his son. We see this over and over again. He's the heir of the world. All things are created for him, as I said. In Philippians, Paul there teaches that everybody, every man, woman, child who's ever been, uh, who's ever been made by God, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth, everyone is going to rise again and stand before the judge and give an account And everyone is going to bow the knee to Jesus. If we did it on this side of death, then it'll simply be continuing what we've already said and done. Jesus is Lord. But everybody, even those who hated him, will bow the knee 
one day and have to acknowledge, yes, Jesus is Lord. But then they will stand before judgment for having not done that beforehand. And that'll be a terrifying day for them. Everything is about Jesus, and God will judge those who don't honor him. It is a big deal. If you were in the Sunday seminar this morning, Dan did a great job of walking through uh, what, what's happening after death. And the scripture is clear it is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. Death is not the end, judgment is the next phase. And are we going to be found as those who honored the Son or those who didn't? You remember Psalm 2? In the second psalm there, you have this, this dialogue between the God the Father and God the Son. And it says that the God in heaven laughs, he mocks as, as all these nations try to throw off his kingship. But then his mocking changes, his laughter changes to severity. And he says, I will judge them. And the time is short, flee to the Son and kiss him. Uh, acknowledge him, honor him, worship him, and take refuge in him so that you don't suffer his anger. Jesus here is saying to these Jews, you dishonor me, and there is one who will judge that. This is why we have to preach the gospel. This is why we have to tell people whether it's Green Mountains or Colorado Springs or Green Mountain Falls, they need missionaries too, Pat. Wherever, there are people all over our communities who do not honor the Son. And it's our job to call them now, on this end of judgment, to repent, to receive forgiveness. So the judgment day is not a bad day, but it's a good day. And Jesus, always true to his mission here, though he's, he's, he's clearly rebuking the Jews, he cares about forgiveness because he quickly, on the heels of this judgment, says, verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Not face value, seems like Jesus is lying. Last Sunday was Father's Day, right? This was the first Father's Day in 49 years that I did not have a father to call and to say Happy Father's Day to. As those of you around here know that in January we buried my father. 16 months before that, I buried my mother. And one of these days, my kids will bury me. And Jesus says, you'll never see death? I've seen plenty of death. And you have too. What are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean we'll never see death? Well, he's not talking about physical death. He's not talking about the first death. He's talking about the second death eternal death, the far more significant one. I mean, I'm not looking forward to dying, but the second death, the scripture describes it as, as death in Hades 
giving up their, or the, uh, uh, Hades giving up the dead and the sea giving up the dead and being thrown into a lake of fire for all eternity. That is the death that Jesus says, everyone who hears my word and believes it will never taste, never see that punishment, that death. Instead, what he's been saying over and over again, we will live forever in paradise, in glory, in a place, in a time, an experience where all pain and suffering is gone. My dad, my mom, they have both experienced physical death, but they will not experience the second death, and someday I will see them again, and we will live forever worshiping the Son of God. And that's where the true joy is. Yes, I want to see mom. Yes, I want to see dad. But as I read the scripture, it's pretty clear they will no, no longer be my primary concern. We together will be there gazing on the face of Jesus and serving him and honoring him and pleasing him Day after day after day after day after day after day, never ending. You in this room right now, do you hear the word of Jesus? Do you believe the word of Jesus? This, this, this man that we're talking about went to the cross and died and suffered punishment that we deserve so that we can escape that punishment. And he says, everyone who believes that will live forever with me, will never taste final death. So in the midst of this warning to these Jews, he says, believe in me, keep my word, follow me, trust me, and you won't see death. Well, the Jews did what so many people have done through the Gospel of John. They, they, they miss his ultimate point. They miss the eternal perspective. It's all about the here and now. And They respond, now we know that you have a demon. You've just proven you're demon-possessed. Abraham died. The prophets, they all died. Elijah's dead. Isaiah's dead. Elisha died. They're all the big ones. They're all dead. And you're saying if anybody keeps your word, they will never taste death? Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. Surely the, you're not greater than the prophets. Just exactly whom do you make yourself out to be? And what the Jews here are doing is they're setting Jesus up. They, they have a process. And if they can get him to say that he is greater than Abraham or greater than the prophets of old, then they can bring him up uh, on trial and accuse him of blasphemy and be rid of him. So that's what they want. Lord, just, uh, they didn't call him Lord. Jesus, just tell us who you are. Are you the Messiah? Are you better than these forefathers? If so, boom, we got you. And as we'll see at the end of this, Jesus does not disappoint. But first he responds. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. I'm not here to toot my own horn. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, and you have not come to know him. 
scary words. You claim to know God, but you don't know him. Your actions prove you don't know him. But I know him. If I say I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. You don't. You're trying to kill me. But I keep his word. And then he says a very interesting thing in verse 56. Your father Abraham, so now he's acknowledging at least, they have some relationship to Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced. The phrasing of the next phrase in my Bible is a little misleading. And most, if you have the NIV or ESV, they get it better. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced in order that, or at the thought of seeing my day, he saw it and he was glad. In the NAS here, it almost sounds like Abraham is now watching what Jesus is doing, and he's rejoicing. And that may be true, and if Dan Beck got it right about what Hades is all about, which I think he did get it right, then Abraham did see Jesus' day, but that I don't think is the point. I think back to Abraham in his own day. Remember God made massive promises to Abraham. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Every single nation. And I'm going to make your name great. And you are going to be great, Abraham. But then as the story progresses, he gets a little bit more information. And as he begins to ponder and think about what is coming and what God is going to do through his name, he, he, he gets more of it. And the we don't see this as much in the Old Testament, but as the New Testament writers tell us what Abraham knew, he got a lot of it. You remember that story when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac? One of the most dramatic scenes in all the Old Testament. Here's the chosen son, the one he waited so long to have. And God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, to an altar and sacrifice him. Abraham says, okay. And just as he's about to drive the knife into the heart of his son, God stops him, says, don't hurt the boy. Now you've proven your faithfulness. And he says to him, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham begins to realize this promise of, of God involves his descendant. Not Isaac, but another descendant, a coming descendant down the road. And the writer of Hebrews tells us the reason Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac was because he knew God would raise him from the dead. And you remember at the beginning of that story, when Isaac says, Dad, where are we going? And Abraham says, we're going to offer a sacrifice and Isaac looks around and he sees wood and a rope, but he didn't see any animal to sacrifice. And he says, hey, Dad, what are we going to use as a sacrifice? Do you remember what Abraham said? God will provide. He began to put some of these things together. God's going to provide the sacrifice. And even if I kill my son... God will raise him back up because he's promised in my descendant to bless all the nations of the world. Right, if Hebrews tells us, Abraham understood that God's blessings were not 
ultimately temporal blessings. They were not the here and now. Because he was looking for a city that man can't build. A city that God himself would build. He knew it was the next age, whatever that age was, that next age where he would realize all these blessings. That has to be our perspective. There's a lot of disappointment in this life. You're not going to live your best life now. I mean, if you are, the next age doesn't sound all that great, does it? Why would our friends, Dave and Deb, leave America to go somewhere else and raise their family there? Why would they leave Chick-fil-A and softball for soccer? I mean, come on. Why would they, why would they spend their time devoted to a, a harsh and hostile land? Because they know the ultimate blessing of God is not here and now. It's the next age. That's the perspective that we must have as well. I mean, think about what they could be doing. I don't know if you noticed, but Dave's a pretty articulate guy. He, I, I've seen him play softball. He's not bad at softball either. And they're smart, and they, there's a lot of talent in the two of them that could be used here to do all kinds of things. Why leave all that? Because there's something better waiting after this age. And that's true for all of us, even those of us who get to eat Chick-fil-A six days a week. Some of you do, don't you? There is something coming that is far greater than we can begin to imagine in the here and now. Abraham got a little glimpse of that. We have a bigger glimpse even but we're still not there yet. But whatever Abraham saw, whatever he understood, he rejoiced. And he was glad that his seed, his descendant, someday would come. And Jesus says, it's about me. I am the fulfillment of everything Abraham was waiting for. I am the blessing. I am the seed. I am the one who's going to be the great one I'm the one who's going to transform the world and save the world. I'm the king. I'm the offspring of Abraham. I'm the one you should have been waiting for, Jews. Abraham saw it and he rejoiced. So the Jews again just laugh. Really? You're telling us what Abraham's doing, that he's rejoicing? How old are you, Jesus? Yeah, you're not 50. Abraham's been dead for 2,000 years, and you think you know what Abraham's doing? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, what are the next two words? I am. You know, there are people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, it's true. He never said the words, 
I'm God. But if you know your Bible, what Jesus just said is far more emphatic than claiming to be God. Other people were called God or gods, even in the Old Testament. Kings were called sons of God. Angels are called sons of God. Jesus gets in trouble with the Pharisees earlier and later on for talking about being the son of God. But when he says those two words, it is incomprehensible to the Jews that somebody would dare make that statement. I am. What Jesus did, just did was to claim to be Yahweh. Remember back, Moses walking out with his sheep, sees a bush on fire, says, that's weird, it's not burning up, I need to check that out. He walks over to the bush, and as he's approaching, he hears this voice, Moses, Moses, stop. You're walking on holy ground. Don't take another step until you take off your shoes. God speaking out of the bush. He says, Moses, I'm going to deliver my people and I'm going to send you to them to lead them out of Egypt. And through that discussion, Moses says, well, if I go to the people, they're going to ask me, who sent you? Who should I tell them sent me? God says, you tell them, I am sent you. That's my name, Moses. I am. It's the Hebrew, Yahweh. It's the, the phrase, the word that the Jews refuse to actually say for fear they might profane the word by saying it. They would call God all kinds of things, but what they would not say is the word, Yahweh, I am. They refused say it, ever. It was blasphemy. You could be executed for saying that word. That's God's name. I am. Not I was. Not I will be. Not I am something. Simply, I am. And Jesus stands before these Jewish people. It says, before Abraham, before Elijah, before all the other prophets and all the other great men, before all of them, I am. How do we know he was claiming to be Yahweh? You notice how the Jews responded? Suddenly, due process is unimportant. We're going to skip the trial, skip the accusations. We're going straight to execution. They picked up stones to stone him to death right then and there. They were so provoked by his I am statement, they didn't feel like they needed the trial. Kill him now. That's blasphemy of the highest order. He just claimed to be Yahweh. But it wasn't his hour. So Jesus hid, and then he left, and they couldn't touch him. 
Now, if you've been a Christian any time, grew up in the church, as many of you did, you know this. But don't forget to have your mind blown at this. Jesus is I am. He is God. This is how John started his gospel, remember? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John understood this. Can you imagine what the disciples' conversation was like after this incident? They're, they were Jews, all of them. You imagine they're walking around the rest of the evening going, did, did, did Jesus just, did he just claim to be, did I hear him right? Did, did Jesus say before Abraham was, Yahweh? Did, did I, do I understand this correctly? Did Jesus just claim to be, I am? I, I, I imagine just stunned silence and pondering. Yes, they'd seen Jesus do amazing things. He'd turned water into wine, and he'd walked across water, and he raised up a man who'd been lame 38 years, and he fed thousands with a few loaves and fishes, and on and on and on and on. And yet, as a Jew being taught all of your life, there is only one God, and you don't say his name out loud, and here's this human being standing before them, and that human being says, I am. I can't imagine what went through their mind. How about you? We want Jesus to come back. We pray for his return. We long for his return. We sing songs about Jesus. We worship him, we praise him, we honor him. Do you really believe that Jesus of Nazareth, the man, is I am? You believe that? I don't get it. How does a human being, how does God become a human? I don't know. But if he's not, then we're wasting our time here. This is not a feel-good party, right? If, if, God, if Jesus is not God, I'm not a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. There's a whole lot of fun out there to be had. I mean, isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15? Eat, drink, be merry, enjoy life, because tomorrow you're dead. But if he is the great I am, everything is different. As you sit here this morning, do you believe in your heart of hearts, not just Christian ritual, not just because of what you were taught, but do you actually believe Jesus is I am? If you do, in a moment, after I pray, I'm going to invite you to stand and proclaim together one last time today, out loud, as loud as you can sing, Behold Our God. Let's pray.
King Jesus, we gather in your name this morning for one purpose, and that is to exalt you, to proclaim your majesty. Lord, for some of this, this is newer. For some of this, this is very, very old. And maybe we are in danger of forgetting to have our minds blown. Our God became a man and dwelt among us. And he is coming back someday and we will see a man who is I am. This is not a doctrine to be sorted out. This is not a creed. You are a person. You are God. You are man. You are king. You are everlasting. You are savior. You're a God. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone in this room who right now does not believe that you would give them ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to understand the truth, and that they would sing this song with us for the first time and mean it. Jesus is our God. They would cry out to you for forgiveness and never see death. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.